Genesis 3, I'll read the first verse. We'll read the second verse together and alternate through verse 13. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God hath made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Let's read 13 together. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Well, marriage is something all of us need to work at in a home, and a, a broken home is the world's greatest wreck, and yet God in His wisdom laid out principles to help us in our relationships. And I think in the very early stages, God made everything, and then He said, it's not good that Adam be by himself. We're going to make an help meet for him. He said, I'm going to create marriage. There were three institutions that God ordained. Number one, the Christian home. Number two, government in, in the book of Genesis. And then he created the local church. This church is a, an example of that. There's three institutions that God had planned. The first of which was the home. It's a pristine institution that he had, and he gave a husband and wife, and it's his idea to get married. And he put together the first marriage with Adam and his wife, Eve. He brought Eve to Adam. He created her to help him. To be a to be a compliment, not a not a not a uh, to complicate, not to compete, but to work with him. Yes, he is the head, and she is cooperating with him, much like we used this morning. Like a hand is cooperating with my head. There's no fighting here. The hand is fine to do what it needs to do because it's 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 cooperating with the head. A beautiful thing is to see a husband and wife in cooperation working together, not struggling with each other, but cooperating for the benefit of the body. It's kind of a beautiful thing when we have Christ as the church, when Christ is giving information to the church and the church is cooperating with that. 
When we stand on this platform, oftentimes, and we've got numbers of new uh, weddings coming up this, this, uh, this fall, and we're excited for every one of the couples, but they'll stand here, and they'll come in independent agents, and they'll leave a one-flesh relationship. But when they come in, the husband, God has given him a job to do. God has given him something to do. And the wedding's a lot about the bride, but the marriage is a lot about the, the husband. The marriage is about what God wants them to do, and the bride is coming along to help facilitate what God has given the man to do. And the same is true with Jesus and his bride. God, we know why Jesus came. We know his purpose. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's something that the God the Father is doing. He, Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. What he says, the Father is bringing people to the Son. Well, that's, his, that's the God's purpose, is for Jesus to come, to die, and to seek and to save that which is lost. So that means the bride of Christ, which is you and me, if we're a good bride for the, for the husband, Jesus, we're helping to fulfill his purpose on the earth. That's why every one of us ought to be after souls. We ought to be winning the lost. We ought to be helping uh, disciple the saved. We ought to be training others. We ought to be giving. Because all of this is we're working in tandem with our head, Jesus Christ, who is our husband and we are his bride, helping him. This is a beautiful thing. Of course, God made the husband, and he calls the man in a relationship the husband. That's a man. The man is the guy. And another name for husband is someone who farms. Uh, years ago, I was doing, uh, had the opportunity to go with Linda to Ohio. And uh, we we're asked to do a marriage retreat in Amish country. And most of my travel nowadays is on interstate. You take the 294, the 8094, the 39, or the 65, the 74, the major highways. I don't do a lot of traveling at this stage in my life on old country roads and, you know, little, little state roads. Most of them are on the, on the freeways. And you get to see some scenic things. But I tell you what, this particular road, I had to go 100 miles on a state road in Ohio. One of the things that was so beautiful is the farms I got to see. I mean, I got to see some extremely pristine farms. Some of them were Amish farms, and some of them were just uh, other farm, farmers. But I saw a variety of farms. I saw some farms where the, 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 the fences were, were broken down. The barn looks like it's going to fall over. Um, the cows look skinny and frustrated. <laughs> Everything, nothing. They had bunches of vehicles all over the front yard, the backyard. The, 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 the house did not have its yard mode. It just, it, not, it just, it didn't look good. But I saw some others, man, they were just as pristine as you can imagine. The barn was red and had a happy face on the top of it, on the, the roof. I mean, the cows looked contented. It, this, the yard was mowed. The house was painted. The fences were lined up. It seems like the corn was all in just beautiful rows. It was beautiful. But, you know, every time I saw a farm, I could not help but think of the farmer. Because somebody had, had some purpose there. Someone took that and decided, you know what, I'm going to make this good. I'm going to make this a good farm. You know, when a man gets married, God and his father-in-law gives him a piece of the farm. And a farm reflects the farmer. A wife reflects the husband. 
you find oftentimes a rebellious woman comes from a critical man. A passive, uh, 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 an aggressive woman oftentimes is married to a passive and non-responsive man. You find that sometimes there are, th- there are things that, that because a farmer, when we came to Jesus, he makes us better. And I put a little bit of heaviness on the men in the relationship. Because you instantly, the moment you said, I do, you and I uh, became the manager of that home. 31 years ago, August the 12th, 1989, I stood at an altar in West Bridgewater, Massachusetts, and I said, I do. And when I said I do, I took on another being that I had to, I had to provide for, I had to direct. God had given me a manager, uh, a management of the Wilkerson home that was just a few hours old at the time and now is 31 years old. And whatever happens in the Wilkerson home, to some extent, is, is my response. Now, Linda's responsible. She's, not, she's sitting over here tonight. She's got me all confused over here, looking over here. But Linda's responsible for her response, and I'm responsible for my responsibilities in, in leading the home. And just like if you go to a restaurant and you don't like something in your plate or on your fork, you don't say, let me see a dishwasher. Let me see a dishwasher. No, you don't care who's dishwashing. Who do you want to see if you had a problem at the restaurant? Give me the manager. And when God has a family, he calls the man. And there are responsibilities on both sides. The men are required, and God's given them responsibility. They're a husband, they're in charge. They've got to figure out how to manage the relationship. A lady is responsible to reverence and to assist and to work in that and reverence and, and respect and admire and cheer on the, the, the man. And all of us struggle in both of those roles. We need the Holy Spirit to make it happen. And it's a real challenge. And the stakes are high. Because the glory of God is at stake. Nothing, I think, is more of a beautiful billboard to to Christ than a good marriage and a good family. I've had this happen many times, and I think of some people that I'm, I'm praying they'll get saved, and I'm seeing God warm their heart. But when they get saved, they won't get saved because of an orchestra or a choir or a building. They won't get saved because of a bus, or they won't get saved because of a bus captain. No, not saying that that couldn't be used. But they're going to get saved because they see a family. They see a husband that loves God and loves his wife. They see a wife that loves God and reverences her husband. They see kids that submit. Years ago, I had a neighbor, and they, 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 they were so amazed that Linda would say, all right, kids, it's time to come in. He says, she told me later, she goes, your kids, like, obey your, your wife. Because it's just like, i never seen something like that. This is what she said. She said, it's obvious that you and, you and Linda have a spark. You know, you, you guys like each other. You can tell that it's not just fake. I'm, I live to you. I live near you. I know how you guys are. And if that, if that person or anybody comes to the Lord, oftentimes there's going to be some folks that's going to be the billboard of the family that's going to bring it together. Because it's a, it's a reflection of God and his love for mankind. Now I realize in a room like this, not everybody's married. Not everybody will be married. God uh, has given people gifts to be single. God has given other people gifts to be married. Most people will eventually have the opportunity to marry. 
It's, it is God's plan, it's God's rule, and singleness is God's exception, but both of them are gifts from the Lord. The Bible says if, um, that, uh, uh, that a prudent wife is from the Lord. And whoso uh, findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, obtaineth favor of the Lord. It's a good thing. It's a gift. Usually a man needs companionship. A woman needs security. And both of them need to know two things. Number one, that I matter and that I will be safe with this person. Security and significance. Now, all of that has to be come from the Lord, but we have that natural inside of us, every one of us. We want to know, are, do we, do we, are we significant? That's why when a man looks in pornography, a wife thinks, you know, I'm not enough. You have to have someone else. When someone finds someone texting someone else that's not their spouse or saying things, it makes you feel very, like, you know, that, that, that don't matter to them. Because marriage is exclusive. The Bible says marriage is an honorable thing and the bed is undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. What it means is that marriage is an honorable thing. It's everything about it ought to be honorable. The wedding ought to be honorable. By the way, you have a wedding. Listen, you ought to do your best to make sure that anyone who would casually come to your wedding would know Jesus matters to that couple. Christ is, Christ is matters here. It ought to be obvious to the most casual observer. Had someone not too long ago come to one of our weddings, and they're from a, uh, a religion that is not Christianity. And they were really amazed. They're really amazed at, at how things happened. They were very complimentary. They stood right down here at the conclusion of that and said, you know, I've never seen this before. This is my first Christian wedding. But there's something going on here. I had a lady who was a Mormon who was taking pictures for one of the, was a photographer, and it was her first time to do it at a, in a Christian setting. And, and when she got done, she said, I wish I could take the friendly people at this wedding and put them in my church. He said, you guys got something. I don't understand what you have, but you guys have like, everybody seems to like everybody here. And I thought to myself, you know, she got that at a wedding. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have. The only badge of discipleship this world recognizes is when a man and a, a woman and Christian people love each other in the body of believers. That's why, have you ever heard of church splits and yelling and hollering and this person's upset with this person and how they scratch their head gets on their nerves? All that is satanically induced to create more stir. The devil is, is the author of confusion. Jesus is the prince of peace. God wants to have peace in our homes. Of course, he made Adam and he just, and he made Eve on the very same day, day number six. And after he gave Adam responsibility, rules in a relationship, he said, you're not going to be good by yourself. So to glorify me, to, to give you a companion so you're not by yourself and so you can have the intimacy of physical relationship. By the way, the Bible says marriage is honorable and all in the bed is undefiled. The physical relationship, no one else sticks their finger in your, in your, in your banana pudding. Nobody else is in welcome in that. The intimacy is made just for two. No one else. Porn's not welcome. You know, no other person at work. Mama's not welcome. Nobody else needs to know what goes on there. It's something that's made for two. It's undefiled. That means it's only for two, not for multiple partners. And if you think for a moment you're made for more, you're, you're, you're wrong. 
You're going to get really confused. And by the way, every sin that a man doeth, you can read it for yourself in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I don't care what sin it is. If you steal, you steal, you lie, you know, you, you get mad and curse at someone. Every other sin is wrong and it has consequences. But the sin of fornication, the Bible tells us this, it is a sin against the body. It messes with your body, it messes with your mind, it messes with you psychologically, spiritually, every other way. And if you think for a moment you can handle it, you can't. He said there's nothing like the sin of immorality to bring a man to a piece of bread. It really crumbles you down, to, it, it takes away worth. If you don't believe that, ask Tiger Woods. One situation, he went from being one of the most profitable, talked about, employed sponsors in the, in the world. And one after the other, boom, 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 boom. It went away all, and he's an unsaved man. Marriage an unsaved lady in an unsaved world where adultery and fornication is commonplace. But even people in corporate America realize, you know what, no, we can't market with him anymore because he's a whoremonger. He's not faithful. How much more that's exaggerated in a Christian home, in a Christian church, in a, in a, in a, in a church like ours. But God says marriage is good because it provides companionship, brings glory to God. It's an arena in which you can enjoy physical pleasure and touch. And if you want to do it before that or after that with somebody else, you're asking for judgment. Listen, girl, if a guy wants to take liberties with you before he's getting married, I promise you it will complicate your relationship later. You want to, get, you want to have hanky-panky before you get married, you're going to have some problems later. I'm not saying it's going to destroy you. I'm just saying don't, don't do it. God's ways are good ways. And we don't break God's law. We break ourselves against them. And if you don't want to touch your girlfriend or your boyfriend, something's wrong with you. But within the realm of marriage, it's pure. If it's not, it's not pure. And it will mess with you. It'll mess with your body. It'll mess with your mind. It will mess with your psychological health and definitely your spiritual health. So, and then it's an optimal environment in which to raise children. So God made, him, made Adam a partner. And he gave him a priority. He said, for the cause of marriage, you leave your father and mother and you cleave to your spouse and and you, you, you're one flesh now. You're no longer just thinking about you. And sometimes I have people that get married and they say, well, you know, I wasn't thinking about that, so you should never got married. It is not just a, it's just not a fuzzy-wuzzy feeling. It's a responsibility now. It's someone to take care of. It's someone that, that you're the only person on the planet with the right and responsibility to care for that person and play your role. And if you have a little bit more horse sense before you get married, you have fewer nightmares afterwards. If you understand a little bit, like, you know, let me think about this a little bit. Make sure. And marry the right person. That's really important. And I believe God will bring that to you. He'll let you do that. He's a prudent wife is from the Lord. A godly husband is from the Lord. Don't try to find it yourself. It's impossible. You've got to have to have the Holy Spirit's guidance and his help. And he knows what you need. He knows what time of life you are. He knows what your strengths, your weaknesses. And then if you are married, you're married to the right person. But you don't have to worry about that. Just start being the right person. One thing that's really important in marriage is don't try to change your spouse. You love them and let God change them. 
You reverence him and let God do the rest. It's amazing what God will do and what he has done. And I've seen this happen many, many times. I've also seen the, counter, the counterpart of that where people, and by the way, some people, they go through a divorce and it's very painful, it's very shameful, very embarrassing. And God's people, we need to, need to understand that and we need to love people through their difficult times. None of us are perfect. I've had some of the most cruel people be so critical of other people that go through difficult times until it visit them at their house. And then all of a sudden, they're like, they really, really, and don't let God have to visit with you. Don't let judgment come to you because you're so critical. Sometimes the more critical people of people who fail in ministry, in just a few months, oftentimes they fail. They get very harsh to other people. And obviously, sin is complicated. But be careful. One of the things I think that really gets us a lot is just crit- critical spirits. And I think God hates that. He hates a high look. He hates someone who thinks they're all that in a bag of chips and everybody else is drinking their bath water. One day you'll be like me. I'll be, you'll get up to where I am at. And I think God despises that. And he takes down the, 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 um, the roadblocks of, of immorality, the protections that God has. We fall into the manhole of immorality and it's just a deep pit. We've got to really be careful about those things. Well, God made Eve, and he gave him, he gave him a priority. He said, I want you to make her a priority. You leave and cleave. Make him a priority. You leave and cleave. And then the man and his wife are both naked and not ashamed. It means nothing came between them, even clothes. There's an openness there. When you're married, it's never none of your business to your spouse. That's the only relationship where there can be openness. Um... When, you know, I, I just think that uh, people are like, well, you know what, that's, that's my business, and that's his business, or that's her business, and this is my business. No, no. If you're married, there's nothing between you, even clothes. And, and without being ugly, I just, you know, no one just takes their clothes off in front of their best friends, their parents, their kids, you know, the guys at work, the girls. No, you don't do that. There's, off, there's, there's natural things, but, the, but in a marriage relationship, that's the only one. Because there's nothing comes between them. It's, it's an openness. doesn't mean you can't plan a birthday party or something in secret, but it's talking about, you know, if I, I've got, uh, I don't tell my kids everything. Sometimes the kids will ask questions. I don't, I don't have to tell them anything. I don't have to tell them anything secret. I love my mother, but my mother can ask me questions that I just, Mom, I'm not going to not gonna answer that question. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, you see. I love my mom. I got a nosy, I got nosy brothers. I don't answer all their questions. I'll tell my kids, you know, that's for me to know and you to find out. But if Linda asks me something, that's the only relationship that I have a responsibility to be completely open about. And when you say, you know what, well, that's none of your business. Listen, my phone is her phone. I don't have to I don't spend a lot of time doing that, but there should, should be no secrets. And you say, well, Pastor, I don't, don't like that. I'm just telling you, there was nothing between them. There was an openness. And I believe it's the biblical model that God gave us on the second chapter of the Bible. Well, then sin comes. We spoke about this this morning. Brother Keith led us in reading tonight. This is a tragic story. It's the fall of man. It's whenever Adam and Eve now are in the garden, and I don't know if days, weeks, months, or decades have gone by, but it's pretty cool. In the Garden of Eden with beautiful rivers, a perfect temperature, 
a responsibility. Work is still a part, but there's no thorns on the, on the rose bush. There, there's, there are no mosquitoes to swat. There's no uh, insects destroying the thing. It's a perfect. The lion can lay down with the lamb. There's no carnivores. No one's eating everybody. It's a beautiful environment. And to boot, every evening, the voice of the Lord comes and walks with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And they have anticipated that. They love it when Jesus comes, when God's word visits them. And they walk and they talk about the garden and responsibilities and all of that and everything's good. But somewhere in the process, Eve finds herself around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we see here the idea in marriage of contentment. One of the challenging things in everyone's life is, in, is enough enough and am I happy with what I have? Remember years ago, Brother Hiles would teach us from across the street. He'd say, want what you have, not what you don't have. When, when you get in your car this, this evening, start that car up, take hold of the steering wheel and say, this is the car God gave me. This is the car I want. And you go put your key in your door this evening, whether it's a studio apartment, it's a semi-truck, it's, a, um, it's a, a farmhouse, whatever it is, is your house. You ought to put that key there and stop for a moment on the porch and say, this mobile home, this, this studio apartment, this, this two-bedroom, this little house in, in Calumet Township, wherever you are, this is the house God gave me. And I'm thankful for it. I'm happy here. Look at your closet and look at all the stuff in there and say, Lord, this is the clothes you gave me. And I'm thankful for it. Look into the eyes of your spouse and say, this is the wife you gave me. And I love her. And I'm thankful for her. I don't want anybody else. I want her. Look into the eyes of your husband and say that to God. Kids, don't want other mom and dad. Mom and dad want where you have. And, and if, you're, if you're discontent, if you're single right now, and many of you are, and you maybe not want to be, uh, you want, you're, you're lonely. It's one of the main reasons for marriage. Not only for fulfillment physically, and of course, Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He said, These, you know, now concerning the things you wrote unto me, I write unto you that that uh, a man touch not a woman. Don't touch a woman. It means don't ignite passion. Don't touch in a way that would, would uh, ignite passion sexually. doesn't mean if a lady falls down, you can't help her up. Or It just means you don't touch another person of the opposite sex to ignite passion if you're not married to her. But so as not to be a fornicator, let every man marry, have his own wife, and every wife have her own husband. And know that they dwell together, and God put the rules together. He lays it out for us. And he tells us, you know, don't defraud your spouse. Do benevolence. Give of yourself. There's no other well they can go to. This is, the, this is, this is something you signed up for. But if you're single at the present time, I think it's important that we learn to be content. And say, Lord, this is where you have me now. Yes, I struggle with loneliness. Yes, I, I wish I were married by now, or I wish that I could uh, have that partner, that, that person. 
But I think once again, the concept is still the same. Go back and say, Lord, this is where you have me. Apostle Paul said like this, Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, For I have learned in whatsoever state, situation, that's not Missouri or Connecticut, is that in whatever situation I am, therewith to be content. And that is, that's something that has to be learned. It's not something easy. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy when you're married to want what you have at the time. Sometimes it is frustrating. You, you think by now we should be a little bit different or we would have this or this opportunity. And remember, the enemy of contentment is comparison. Oftentimes we're fine with what we have until we see what someone else has and then all of a sudden we put pressure on our spouse or we're wanting this and then people or our kids are having to live with a discontented dad, a discontented mom. People are frustrated. God reminds us that, uh, that uh, contentment is a very valuable thing in a marriage. And I can't get you to be content, and you can't meet me to content. It's a contentment that has to be something I decide for me. I have to draw a circle around myself and say, Lord, I am going to be content in this circle. If this is how you have me, then, then I, I've got everything I need, if I have God, to be happy in this situation. I have been to different countries of the world and as an ambassador of the Lord, and many of you have let me go. And I have, I've been to very fancy places, and I've also been to very meager, humble places. And, and it's how much people have does not determine their contentment. I've seen people that don't even have, they just have earth floors, and they're as happy as people can be. Their kids are happy, the wife's happy, she's smiling, she's happy, the kid's happy. And I've been to Beverly Hills. Never forget my trip to Beverly Hills to visit a, a screenwriter for Hollywood movies and had multiple little awards in his house and you know, a beautiful pool in the back and, and fish swimming in these, in these different ponds in the back of his house. And a dog trainer was there while I went to go visit them because their marriage was so strained. And you could cut, the, you could cut the, the atmosphere with a knife. Neither one of them wanted to be saved. They were struggling in their marriage. And, and I'm telling you, I couldn't get out of that place fast enough. The butler met me at the, at the, at the gate out front and buzzed it in, went and got me. The dog, the dog trainer's there trying to tell the lady how to take care of her dog. And I went over and see Roger, and Roger's over here, and he's talking, and he's saying, oh, we're a mess, and all this stuff. And I said, well, I'll tell you, if we can get to Jesus. Oh, now, you didn't come and tell me about Jesus, did you? I said, yes, I'm a pastor. God made the first marriage. And he just pandered me, and just, just it's not a big deal. And, and uh, I prayed with them, but I, it was awful. They're just as miserable as they can be, and, I, and, and they had more money. They could buy me 10 times over. But there's no peace. No sweetness, no, no right there. And oftentimes contempt. They were discontent. Nothing was happy for them. I've been to other places where they just have a little few chickens running out out front, and they're just happy as they can be. Happy to be, to be saved, happy to go back. They love church. They love the things of God. And, and we complain, and all of us have got a lot better than any of that. And yet oftentimes we are not content. The second thing is connection. Here, Eve is, Eve is around a tree she shouldn't be in. Curiosity, discontentment. And I don't know that, you know, curiosity is a sin, but it, it was a bad situation. And then Satan saw that Eve and Adam 
are not standing side by side. And he comes to, and I think Satan knows, if he's going to attack this family, he can't do it when they're together. The connection, because the Bible tells in Ecclesiastes, two are better than one. And a threefold core is not easily broken. One that's braided with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he also tells us here in Ecclesiastes, because if they have an adversary, and you do have an adversary. First Peter 5, verse number 8, the Bible tells us, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about. He seeks whom he can devour. Who can he destroy? And whenever a couple is not together, I think Eve was by herself. She's in the wrong place. Satan comes and begins to, to ask her questions. Yea, hath God said, the doubt is there. Satan's favorite tool, in my opinion, is, is doubt. Yea, hath God said, do you believe God said this? And then she said, you know, no, we're not supposed to eat it. Neither should we touch it. Now, God didn't say that, to my knowledge. I don't think when he told Adam the rules, he didn't tell him, no, you can't even touch that one. But she kind of took it to another level, looks like. And she got engaged in a conversation there while she was not with her head. And it teaches me, I think, the principle of connection. Every marriage and every, every husband and wife, every parent and children, you have to work to stay connected. Satan likes to build walls between important relationships. Sometimes the pastor and people. I love being your pastor, but there are often times, and I can just tell something's wrong. I did something wrong. I made a bad decision or a decision that affected you adversely. And oftentimes people are frustrated with me. And it's hard to make everybody happy, even if for the temperature. I remember years ago, Brother Howe was talking to Brother Randy about the temperature. And some of us were just perfect. Then he has to go change it. So half the people are mad, and other people are like, hallelujah, about time. Those different decisions are made, and sometimes we can tell, okay, they're, they were warm, but they're not warm right now. And sometimes it's the devil. And not that I'm perfect, I'm not perfect. Boy, I feel so bad for you sometimes. But I, I will say this, as whoever, whoever the leader is, if I fall off the planet this week and someone else is your pastor in a few months or a few weeks, you'll have to figure out there'll be, there'll be conflict there from time to time. Uh, whenever you work for a saved man, the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, if you work for a brother, don't despise him because you're brethren. So if you work for a Christian person, don't, don't despise him. There's already a natural tendency, sometimes just understanding the authority structure. Between children and their parents, every child needs his mom and dad. He needs a mom and dad that will love him and help him and give him three things desperately they need, affection, direction, and correction. Every child needs that. Mostly they need from their parents affection. A reminder of their love and their affection. Now sometimes uh, affection leads to correction. They need direction from their parents. But if kids do not feel loved, they don't listen to direction and they don't respond well to correction. Rules without a relationship usually lead to more rebellion. That's where every parent needs to continue to convey the love of Christ. And by the way, the way we learn to love is to, is to spend time with the Holy Spirit of God. The fruit of the Spirit is, first one out of the box. He said, 
Do all your things with charity. He said, there's faith, hope, and charity, but the greatest of these is charity. So love is the number one attribute, and it's the number one attribute that every wife needs from her husband. And so he's giving us, he's giving us some responsibilities here, and he's reminding us contentment is important, connection is important. A husband and wife, the devil is continually putting, putting barriers there. What did you mean by that? And usually people marry people opposite of them. You marry someone, you're the yin, they're the yang. They have strengths where you have weaknesses, and if someone ever tells me, oh, no, we want to get married because we're just exactly alike, I say, stop now. <laughs> you don't want to marry someone like you. You need someone that has, it doesn't mean you, you might both like Thai food, or you might both, you know, like the Cubs, or, you know, or the White Sox, or whatever. I'm not talking about you can't have some similarities, but usually God puts you together with someone who has strength. A, a prophet, oftentimes, God brings them a mercy giver, because they each need each other. Somebody who is an organizer is oftentimes married to a servant. Someone who doesn't know how to start a good thing, but can make a good thing better. God puts you together in that, and he puts, that, he puts it together. But staying connected is another thing. Stay connected emotionally. That has to do with conversation. That means you don't have a lot of fights. If people are fighting continually, that doesn't stop because you say, I do. That doesn't stop. It takes just a moment to pronounce a person a man and wife. It takes a lifetime to get good at it. It's a work at it. And staying connected spiritually, being in church together. I always grieve when I feel like one of the spouses decides, you know, I'm not going to church. I'm too busy, or I got this work, or this kind of thing. It's, it's grievous. It's hurtful. And we need to pray for those who sometimes go through that. And they're not married to bad people. They're just, they're broken people. By the way, it's a good idea for all of us to see people not as, as good and bad, but as fixed or broken. Because all of us are sometimes broken. Some of us, not all of us, are clicking on all eight cylinders all the time. And the Bible says, ye who are spiritual, what should we do? Restore, build up, encourage, work for a reconciliation, and, uh, and love each other. But staying connected, talking together. We'll talk about communication in a moment. Uh, spending time together. You can say, what's more important, Pastor? Quality time or quantity time? Both. Both, every family needs both of those. Because connection is not built. You can't leapfrog time and be connected with one another. Connected spiritually, connected emotionally. Sometimes, if, as time goes on, a, a man or a woman will just become strangers in their own house, yelling over a tall wall. You got the kids or I got the kids? Are you going to be ready at 9:10 so we can make it church on time? Just, just all just functional conversation. But the third principle, not only is it, is it contentment and connection, but it's communication. You know, Satan, in the form of that serpent, did not bite Eve and, and then shove the, the, the fruit in her mouth. No, you know, Eve did that herself. But you know how it started? It started with communication. Conversation, words. Do you know how many people fall into sin? Oh, you look like you're having a bad day. Do you need someone to cuddle with? 
Are you getting a cold shoulder? Dumb questions that generate more discontentment, and all of a sudden it just keeps snowballing away. Satan knows that, and he begins to do that. Years ago, I was when, thinking about connection again. When you're, you know, whenever someone's arguing with you, I tell you, try to stay in each other's space. There's no excuse for abuse. No excuse for abuse. I have, I have no, no sympathy for a man who hurts his wife. I believe that that needs to be dealt with quickly and firmly. But I will say this, I, I think whenever we have disagreements, we often, well, I'm just going to go to mothers for a while. Well, I'm just going to take a long walk, and it's always a long walk. We never try to work through this. And tempers and anger is an issue that resurfaces and resurfaces and resurfaces, and God can help with that. There's, there's victory for that. But I will, say, I will say this. Years ago, I was counseling a couple, and um, they began to tell me a story that eventually led to their divorce, and it was tragic. They were such gifted people, had beautiful children. And she began to tell me, he said, Pastor, he said, um, they didn't go to our church, they went to another church, and they were a full-time Christian service at the time. He said, Pastor, um, he said, we were fighting. We couldn't get along, and I just decided, you know, I need my space. And so I thought to myself, I'm going to go back, and this was in Southern California, I'm going to go back to the Midwest, to a state in this area. So I'm going to go back and spend a few weeks, and just to spend a couple weeks with my mom, and he stayed here with the kids, and I wanted to get my space. just want to get, create some distance and get my head clear. He said, Pastor, I went to LAX. I was in Sydney, this terminal, terminal one. I was at a certain gate, I don't remember what gate she told me. She says, but I'm sitting there getting ready to get on a Southwest Airline flight, and the flight, the plane that we were going to get on emptied out in front of us. So I was sitting there, and I saw a man come off. And that young man and I conceived a baby 20 years ago when I was in high school. My mother was the school counselor. I told my mom about it, and she got mad. She went to, she sent me to my aunt's in another Midwest state. And I had the baby and put the baby up for adoption. My mother went to that young man who, was, who wanted to be in the military and said, look, son, if you ever try to reach out to my daughter again, I will make sure you do not get in the military. And the young man believed me because I never heard from him again. He said, but um, since that time, I've married my husband. We have children, we've been serving the Lord, but we're having troubles. He said, but then I go to this and I, I see him come off the plane. He sees me, I see him. And he said, call my name. I called his name. We stood up and it was awkward for a second. He said, hey, it's been a long time. I said, what are you doing? He goes, well, because I'm having some problems with my husband. Our marriage is rocky and I'm just going to go get some space. I'm going to go to mom's. He said, wow, I've been in the military, but I just now finished a divorce. He said, maybe this is most supposed to happen. I took his number. He took my number. And we tried to work through that problem, but that problem resulted in the divorce of a sweet couple with children who now to this day, it's all kinds of trouble and problems. Who arranges such an a, a rendezvous. The Bible tells us in 
1 Corinthians chapter 7. He said, when a couple is not engaged together emotionally and physically and spiritually, he said, you better get back together again. That Satan tempt you not. Boy, Satan walks into a place where there's not connection. Say, Pastor, we've been married for 35 years. Work to stay connected. We've been married for three and a half months. Work to stay connected. We just had a new baby. Time to stay connected. We just have empty nesters. We just had became an empty nester. Work to stay connected. It's a statement I heard years ago, and it blesses me, and it's this. If you're working on your relationships, your relationships will start working. If you're working on your marriage, your marriage will work. But it takes work. It takes work to be content. It takes learning and schooling, learning to be content. It takes learning to be connected. And it takes work to communicate. Listen, ma'am, sir, if you don't talk to your spouse, someone else will, and you won't like where the conversation goes. If you don't talk to your kids, someone else will be talking to them. If you don't talk to an important relationship, someone else will talk, and you won't like what they start talking about. It gets very bad very quick. And Satan is in the, in the details of that situation. And the reason Linda married me is because I talked her into it. I kept talking. Like, oh, you're so beautiful, and I just, we're going to have a great life together. I just can't wait till you're my wife. And I just talked, and I talked, and I talked. And finally, she said, I do. And occasionally, I get lockjaw. I talk all day long. I talk in the morning, and I open my phone in the morning. I have oftentimes scores of texts and emails. People calling me, leaving messages, telling me about this and telling me about that, and can you call me here, and can you do this? I talk all day long. But no one needs my conversation any more than her. I need to talk to her. She needs to talk to me. And sometimes I can describe my whole day in like three words. How was your day, John? Good. What'd you do? Nothing. How'd it go? Fine. And I've talked to everybody else and their mother, but all of a sudden I give her three words to answer my day. And it's not right. I need to talk to her. I need to talk to those kids. And, and you need to work. And communication is, is important because Satan understands that. Faith cometh by hearing. And communication is important. And it's work. When it comes to communication, I'll close with this. You don't need to be the professor thinking you're all that and everybody else is underneath you. You don't need to be the preacher. Well, you know what the Bible says. Why don't you go home and read this verse for you? Do you hear what pastor said? We don't need the preacher. Once again, our job is to love. His job is to change. We don't need the psychologist to analyze everything. Well, what do you mean by that? How come you didn't do this and you do this and you do this? And initially, I just see, boy, you, you, just, you get the paralysis of analysis. You know, girls, let me just tell you something. Girls spend more time thinking about what men are thinking than men think about thinking. <laughs> My wife can ask me, John, what are you thinking about? And I can say nothing, and it's true. Linda can't figure that out. 
Because every girl thinks about everything like spaghetti goes together. It's all together. And women spend a lot of time analyzing, well, what do you mean by that? And how can we do this? We don't even know. You thought more thinking about what we're thinking than we were thinking. When you have a communication issues, oftentimes we got a preacher, we got an analysis, we got a professor in there, we got a critic. We we think we're the judge. It's my way. I know. I'm, I've got it. You're going to figure it out. But I tell you what, I got it. But we we don't need a judge. What we need is the Spirit of God to blend love, joy, peace, meekness, long suffering, gentleness, temperance. Keeping her temper in check. We need those things. That's what God wants us to have. And you can't manufacture those on your own. You'll need the Holy Spirit's help. Whether you're single or married, whether you've been married for 16 months or 16 years or 61 years, all of us ought to have enough humility in our hearts to say, God, whatever my future is, help me to be content, to be connected, and to learn to communicate with wisdom.